Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Seven minutes after four o'clock is our time. Chris Williams is engineering today's program. James Blend is producing. Today we're going to talk with Suzanne Gallagher. She's Executive Director of Parents' Rights in Education. They're uh, hosting a Soapbox Lecture Series. And tonight and tomorrow night, depending on your location, uh, Mary Rice Hassan, who's the author of the book Good Out Now, is going to be talking about America's cultural crisis in public schools. We'll talk with Suzanne Gallagher not only about the events over the next couple of days, but also the work of Parents' Rights in Education. Also, in the next hour, we had planned on a conversation with Shan, uh, Sean McDowell. In fact, that was scheduled to be uh, recorded earlier in the day. He was not able to join us, but we were able to pull up a uh, a radio interview with Warren Wearsby. In all the years I've been here at KPDQ, we were only able to get him once, and that was in January of 2018. We're going to share that conversation with you as Warren Wearsby has gone home. More about that later in the uh, in the next hour of the show. First, some of the headlines. The U.S. is sending the USS Abraham Lincoln Carrier Strike Group and a bomber task force to the Middle East in order to send a clear and unmistakable message to the Iranian empire. Well, that or rather regime, that's the a word of the National Security Advisor John Bolton announcing Sunday night. Bolton said the deployment was a response to a number of troubling and um, escalatory indications and warnings on the part of Tehran, but did not elaborate. Any attack on the United States interests or on those of our allies will be met with unrelenting force, end quote. Bolton said the United States is not seeking war with the Iranian regime, but we are fully prepared to respond to any attack, whether by proxy, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps or regular Iranian forces. Now, one of the mitigating causes here is that the United States has withdrawn, as promised, the waiver on uh, on some of the, the countries that are allies to the United States who are looking to Iran for their uh, for their oil. And they've been given a certain length of time to find other resources. Meanwhile, uh, President Trump is not in favor of special counsel Robert Mueller testifying before the House Judiciary Committee on the 15th of May and answering questions about his findings on Russian interference in the 2016 election. Now, just uh, by way of putting this into perspective, Mr. Mueller no longer works for the federal government. The president is expressing his preference, but he has no power to prevent it from happening. Representative um, David Cicilline, a Democrat out of Rhode Island, said that a tentative date of May 15th has been set for Mueller to appear before the House Judiciary Committee and face questioning over his report. The Rhode Island lawmaker said that while there is no guarantee that Mueller will show up to the hearing, he heard nothing from either Mueller's representatives or the White House to indicate that special counsel would not testify. On Twitter on Sunday, the president questioned why Democrats wanted Mueller to testify and stated again that there was no collusion between his campaign in 2016 and Russia. Bob Mueller should not testify. No redos for the Democrats, he tweeted, saying that the report itself is the answer to their questions. And National Economic Council Director Larry Kudlow denounced Senator Cory Booker on Sunday after the 2020 White House candidate said President Trump was taking credit for a recovery that started under former President Barack Obama. What Mr. Booker and some others are saying is simply not factually true, Kudlow said, and I would agree with him. Kudlow spoke two days after the publication of the April jobs report, which showed that the American economy added 263,000 jobs last month, while the unemployment rate fell to 3.6 percent, the lowest since 1969. Despite the rosy numbers, Booker insisted that the boom's effects were not being felt across all economic levels. Unemployment rates among 
African-Americans, Hispanics, and other minorities the lowest in our nation's history, or at least recent history. Meanwhile, President Trump has threatened to hike tariffs on $200 billion worth of Chinese goods to 25 percent at the end of the week. As trade talks with China appeared to be stalling, he tweeted his frustration over how slowly the negotiations were progressing, writing, the trade deal with China continues, but too slow as they attempt to renegotiate. No, President Trump, uh, who has uh, called himself a tariff man, vowed to hike import taxes on $200 billion in Chinese products from 10 to 25 percent. His comments came as Chinese Vice President Liu He is preparing to travel to Washington this week to resume those negotiations with both sides trying to end a trade war that has affected the global economy. My understanding is several Chinese leaders did not board planes. They were expected uh, to board earlier today to the United States for those talks. And President Trump's former personal attorney, Michael Cohen, headed to jail today to begin serving a three-year sentence for campaign finance violations, tax evasions, uh, bank fraud, and lying to Congress. Cohen spent his final weekend of freedom trying to maintain a semblance of normalcy, leaving his Manhattan apartment uh, on on Saturday with his son to go to a coffee shop and then to a barber shop. They both got haircuts. Cohen's next step was the pricey store Barney's of New York, where he told journalists that he plans to hold a news conference Monday before heading to prison. He did speak to members of the press, but did not uh, take questions. And Alex Trebek got a standing ovation as he accepted an Emmy Award as host of Jeopardy and immediately set the audience at ease, even as he uh, alluded to his cancer diagnosis. Trebek is is 78. He announced in March he has advanced pancreatic cancer. He told the theater audience on Sunday he had been worried that sympathy rather than merit might snare him the trophy for best game show host. But then he mulled what happened last year after he underwent surgery to remove life-threatening blood clots in his brain. You think that uh, you have elicited a certain amount of sympathy, but I didn't win, he said, drawing roars from the crowd that moments before rose to applaud him. And the United States is deploying an aircraft carrier, I think I mentioned that already, uh, to the Middle East um, in threat to Iran. Hamas fired some 700 rockets into Israel, and from the, the story, terrorist groups fired dozens of rocket barrages towards southern Israel on Sunday, as well as several Longer-range projectiles toward the central uh, part of the uh, of the nation, according to IDF, terrorist groups in the Strip also tried to carry out a terrorist attack using a rocket-propelled grenade. And thousands gathered in Times Square, part of the Focus on the Family event from Kevin McCullough, who was there. The seminal moment was when Planned Parenthood's former director of the year, Abby Johnson's 4D ultrasound, appeared on the big screen. She is expecting, and that was her live ultrasound. At that very moment, she was on an examination table in a mobile medical unit being uh, behind the stage. I was standing next to, for the first time in all my years of Times Square, um, uh, at that moment, well, in the middle of uh, literary, literally the world's busiest intersection, a quiet fell across the uh, multiple blocks. It was so deafening, you could literally have heard a pin drop. No angry chants and protests, no applause of agreement, just a sleepy little baby face and beautiful 4D staring out across New York City's busiest neighborhood. And you'll recall that um, a New York pastor, New York City, passed the um, most uh, liberal uh, abortion policy in the country. Also, we learned that, uh, let's see, I have to tell you what um, what this date uh, points to Boeing, by the way, is pretty numb uh, that it is declo- disclosed after airlines 
had been flying its 737 MAX plane for several months that a safety alert in the cockpit was not working as intended, yet it didn't disclose that fact to airlines or federal regulators until after one of the planes crashed. The feature was designed to warn pilots when a key sensor might be providing incorrect information about the pitch of the plane's nose. But within months of the plane's debut in 2017, Boeing said its engineers realized that the sensor's warning light only worked when airlines also bought a separate optional feature. A separate optional feature. Well, President Trump announced on Sunday that former Obama-era border chief Mark Morgan will lead U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, filling an important role in the Trump administration as it seeks to curb immigration at the southern border and tighten border security. Morgan was uh, publicly supported, or rather has publicly supported Trump's border wall and has been critical of Congress progress on the issues, uh, issue of immigration and border security. A former FBI agent, uh, Morgan led Border Patrol during the final months of the Obama administration. And a new Gallup poll shows Donald Trump's presidential job approval rating hitting a new high of 46 percent. That survey was conducted on from the 17th of April through the 30th, almost entirely following the public release of the Mueller report. Uh, by the way, at this point in the Barack Obama administration, he was 44 percent in the Gallup polling at that same period. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 21 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Liberty Coin and Currency and Zero Res. Hey, on this day back in 2013, kidnapped rape victim Amanda Berry, Gina DeJesus, and Michelle Knight, who went missing separately about a decade earlier while in their teens or early 20s, are rescued from a house just south of downtown Cleveland. Their uh, captor, who hung himself in prison in September of that same year at the beginning of a life sentence plus 1,000 years, will not uh, suffer his penalty here on earth, but will be held accountable elsewhere. And on this day in 1994, former Arkansas state worker Paula Jones filed suit against uh, President Bill Clinton, alleging he'd harassed her in 1991. Jones would reach a settlement with uh, Clinton in November of 1998. And on this day in 1941, Bob Hope did his first USO show before an audience of servicemen as he broadcast his radio program from March Field in Riverside, California. Well, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin in a letter on Monday denied House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Richard Neal's request for President Trump's tax return, saying the request lacked a legitimate legislative purpose. As you have recognized, the committee's request is unprecedented and it presents serious constitutional questions, the resolution of which may have lasting consequences for all taxpayers, the letter said. Mnuchin told the Massachusetts Democrats he'd relied on the advice of the Justice Department. He concluded that the department was not authorized to disclose the requested return and return information. The Department of Justice has informed us that it intends to memorialize its advice in a publicized legal opinion as soon as is practicable. Out of respect for the deadline previously set by the committee and consistent with our commitment to prompt uh, response, I am informing you now that the department may not lawfully fulfill the committee's request the letter said, well, the move, uh, which was expected, is sure to set in motion a legal battle over the, the president's tax returns. The likely options available to Democrats would be to subpoena the Internal Revenue Service for the returns or to file. So we are in a season of significant um, subpoenas. 
And as I mentioned, um, uh, Representative David Cicilline said on Sunday that the tentative date of May 15th has been set for the special counsel, Robert Mueller, to appear before the House Judiciary Committee and face questioning over his report on Russian interference in 2016. He is no longer employed by the federal government. He is not under the jurisdiction of the president, so it will be up to Mueller himself whether or not he intends to come. The date is tentative, and uh, neither the House or the Senate has heard from Mueller as to whether or not he intends uh, to participate. Meanwhile, the battle between congressional Democrats and the Justice Department over special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia report has reached new levels of vitriol. One can't imagine it getting much worse, but as some on the left call the Attorney General Bill Barr to be physically dragged in to testify or even locked up for defying congressional subpoenas. The demands have escalated after the Attorney General refused to appear before the House Judiciary Committee last week over a disagreement of protocol over the format of the hearing. Though he testified a day earlier on the Senate side, Democrats on the committee still want to bring the DOJ leader to answer their questions on the conclusion of the uh, Mueller investigation. The committee chairman, Jared uh, Gerald Nadler also imposed a Monday morning deadline for Barr to turn over a full redacted, rather unredacted Mueller report and additional files. The deadline uh, the DOJ apparently missed, prompting Nadler to schedule a Wednesday vote on contempt proceedings against the attorney general. You might recall under the previous attorney general, uh, he was uh, sanctioned by uh, Republican members of the House. It actually has no teeth to it. It's not particularly flattering, but it doesn't actually constitute any real action. Meanwhile, George Papadopoulos uh, leaves after um, his sentence hearing in district court in Washington, D.C., back in September of 2018, at which time it was uh, believed that chicanery was the force behind the formal opening of the FBI's Trump-Russia investigation. According to Andrew McCarthy, he argues that there was a false premise, namely the Trump campaign must have known that Russian uh, Russia possessed emails related to Hillary Clinton. After all, the, the then-candidate Trump made a joke about it. From there, they're either, um, uh, though through either intentional deception or incompetence, the foreign minister of Australia and the United States erected a fraudulent story tying the Trump campaign, purportedly knowledge, uh, purported knowledge, to the publication of hacked Democratic National Committee emails. That is what we... A learn from the saga of George Papadopoulos, as fleshed out by the Mueller report. Well, the investigative theory on which the FBI formally opened the foreign counterintelligence uh, probe codenamed Crossfire Hurricane on the 31st of July in 2016 held that the Trump campaign knew about and was potentially complicit in Russian possession of hacked emails that would compromise Hillary Clinton and that in order to help Donald Trump, the Kremlin planned to disseminate those emails anonymously through a third party at a time maximally damaging rather to Clinton's campaign. There are thus two components of this theory, the emails and Russia's intentions. Well, uh, Papadopoulos uh, knew nothing about the DNC emails and probably nothing about any emails. The one and only source of the email component of the story is George Papadopoulos. He, of course, is a convicted liar, convicted, in fact, of lying to the FBI during the very same interviews in which he related the details about the emails. Moreover, the Mueller report confirms that he is simply unreliable to inflate his importance. He overhyped his credentials, repeatedly misled his Trump campaign superiors, repeating uh, re- regarding rather his discussions with people he believed had connections to the Russian regime, who they were uh, uh, and uh, what they were in a position of uh, to promise. Other than Papadopoulos' own words, there is no evidence, none, that he was uh, told about emails by Joseph Mifsud, a Maltese um, academic whom the FBI and the Mueller investigation deceptively portrayed as a Russian agent. 
He was not. As was previously detailed, because the investigation could not establish that uh, this individual was a Russian agent, Mueller's charge against Papadopoulos is artfully framed to obscure that weakness. Carefully parsed, Mueller's allegation is that Papadopoulos had reason to believe that he was a Russian agent, not that uh, Mr. Mifsud actually was. Well, it goes on from there, but it's an interesting column in National Review written by Andy McCarthy, and his headline simply suggests that the FBI's Trump-Russia investigation was formally opened on false pretenses, and that is something that uh, the attorney general says he wants to get to the bottom of, uh, and that is what prompted this um, investigation. Meanwhile, uh, Vice President, uh, former Vice President Biden mistakenly claimed that uh, Margaret Thatcher, who died in 2013, is worried about Donald Trump. The Democratic presidential candidate, um, Joe Biden, reportedly had a, to correct himself over the weekend after telling donors that Margaret Thatcher is concerned about the United States under Trump. Thatcher, the former prime minister of Britain, died in 2013, nearly two years before Trump launched his first campaign uh, for president. And she had dementia at the time. According to Bloomberg News, Biden eventually corrected himself, explaining to his donors he meant to say British Prime Minister Theresa May. Theresa May, Margaret Thatcher, instead of uh, Thatcher blaming the mix up on a um, Freudian slip. Biden's confusing comments came Saturday during a closed door fundraiser in Columbia, South Carolina. He listed Thatcher as one of 14 heads of states who he claimed had voiced concerns to him about Trump. The outlet reported May has been a prime minister since 2016. Thatcher resigned as prime minister in 1990 during his fundraiser swing in South Carolina. The former vice president also took a page out of Trump's playbook on Saturday when he asked if he had a nickname for the president, Biden reportedly said he didn't want to get down in the mud with the uh, president, but he did choose a moniker for the current White House occupant. Uh, clown was one, but there was one worse that I wouldn't repeat because that's not language that I use. So this is going to be uh, one of those uh, one of those uh, campaigns. Meanwhile, Venezuelan opposition leader Juan um, Guaido says that he overestimated military support for his uh, effort to topple the country's rulers. We still need more soldiers to support it, to back the Constitution, he said, according to reports. He added he would consider an offer of military assistance if the United States made one. Meanwhile, heated protests continued in Venezuela at the embassy in Washington, D.C. Images posted to social media appear to show arrests of members of the activist group Code Pink, which last week tried to take control of the embassy in support of Maduro. And by the way, Russia is stirring the ghosts of Cuba's Cold War past as it looks into reestablishing its influence in the communist-run island nation, although this time analysts say Moscow has no intention of bankrolling Havana. I mean, they're already busy in Syria and in Venezuela. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk with Suzanne Gallagher, Executive Director of the Parents' Rights in Education. It's an organization that is working with parents to help them understand what's happening in schools and to advocate for their uh, their kids. They have a soapbox lecture series that's coming up. We'll tell you all the important details in just a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I had occasion just recently as I was exiting Bible Study Fellowship to run into a woman who is very exercised about what's happening in public education. She and I had a brief conversation and she told me about an event that's coming up 
tonight and tomorrow night, one in Scappoose, the other in Lake Oswego, that's sponsored by Parents' Rights in Education. I knew that I wanted to make sure KPDQ listeners were aware of these two events, but I also want to let you know more about Parents' Rights in Education, the work that they're doing, and how you can learn more. So I invited to, to join me Suzanne Gallagher, Gallagher, rather, who's the Executive Director of Parents' Rights in Education. She joins us now to talk about the Soapbox Lecture Series, uh, one occurring uh, tonight and tomorrow night, as well as the work of Parents' Rights in Education. Suzanne Gallagher, I know this is a busy day for you. Thank you so much for taking <laughs> taking the time to talk with us. Oh, absolutely, Georgine. Thank you. Uh, this is such an important issue. I, your and guess that's coming. more than one issue. It's many absolutely. issues. Absolutely. I, I'm going to arrange to talk with your guest about the book that she has recently, recently written. But before we talk about uh, tonight's event, let's talk a little bit about parents' rights in education, what the organization does, what your focus is, so that listeners can become better acquainted. Terrific. Uh, you know, our uh, we have a website, and people are certainly encouraged to visit our website. You'll have to visit several times before you get the full picture. But um, our tagline, we have three taglines, valuing students, empowering parents, and enlightening communities. And essentially that is what we do. We, we uh, expose what's happening. Uh, we try to share specific uh, situations. We get calls. Literally, Georgine, I had no idea when taking um, on this position about a year ago mm-hmm. that we would be reaching out to the entire nation. We we hear from people in Ohio. We hear from people in um, oh, just recently Minnesota. Uh, they are establishing parents' rights and education chapters in their states. It seems to me there are two kinds of parents with regard to uh, public schools. There are parents who have no clue the extent to which um, their parental rights are being challenged. And then there are those who are fully aware but are frustrated because they're not quite sure what to do about it. And parents' um, uh, parents' rights in education really addresses and equips both parents. Yes, actually, um, you know, what... Once you learn about the issues and you understand them, then you can recognize um, what's what's going on. You may hear from another parent or your child. You know, your children normally don't come home from school uh, talking about, uh, you know, the survey they took that day. Either they don't didn't really understand it. You know, it's um, we just saw a survey that was um, passed out in Dallas School District to 14-year-old uh, high school freshmen. And it asked the students, you know, it showed a series of photographs of uh, men and women, and it said on a scale from one to five, which one, which one is this particular photo? Is it more man or more woman? So biology now, wasn't really relevant in that illustration. No, no. I mean, it's just like, what is the picture? Who, do, you know, does this person look like a man or a woman? And they're trying to make the case for gender identity and that it doesn't really look depend on you know, what your biological parts are. It depends on who you believe you are and who, how you express yourself. And opens the door for kids to start thinking, well, gee, you know, maybe maybe I'm not really, you know, this biological person. Maybe I'm not really a boy or a girl. Maybe I'm something in between or something totally opposite. And if the parent isn't aware of these kinds of things that are happening in the schools, 
they're not going to be asking their kids or they're not going to be asking the teachers. They're not going to be going to the school board meetings and finding out what the health curriculum actually is. Mm-hmm. Nope. And by the way, they're teaching gender identity now. Um, they're proposing that in all the schools in Oregon starting in kindergarten. That is part of the health standards that um, the Oregon um, Department of Education has handed down to the various school boards. Now, the organization's name is Parents' Rights in Education, and the assumption might be, based on our understanding of the relationship between the state and parents from years ago, that parents ultimately are the arbiter of uh, decision-making for their children. What's in that individual child, my son, my daughter, their best interest, and the state takes a back seat to that and defers to the parent. Now, that was the old paradigm, but we're in the midst of, and perhaps at the, the tail end of a paradigm shift where that is no longer the presumption. You're exactly right. The the um, parents are really kind of an irritation. Uh, concerned parents are coming to the school and they're they're uh, participating in meetings. And yes, in many cases, they are listened to. We are not here to say that every single school, every single district, is not listening to parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also not saying that all teachers are, you know, a part of this because there are many teachers who are extremely uncomfortable uh, throwing a coming out party for a third grader uh, who's decided to change from a boy to a girl. So um, it that's why we need chapters in every school district so those individuals can can um, get together. It's, uh, you're always stronger, you know, when you're in numbers. It's no fun to be alone. And the schools do take advantage of that. So we, we coach uh, parents and how, you know, what's the best approach. And, and by the way, again, what is your right? Your right is to see the curriculum. You have the right to see it. You have the right to opt your child out of offensive, um, controversial curriculum that does not line up with your value system. Now, one of the things that you're working on is um, to uh, kind of reverse the way things are done now where you opt out of something, rather that parents would have the choice to opt in so that they're not blindsided by things that um, their children are being exposed to or taught that run counter to their core values. That's correct. Uh, And it is a little bit confusing when people first hear about it, they get kind of mixed up, opt out, opt in, uh, what what are we doing here? Well, the default now is opt out. In other words, every child is presumed to be opted in to the teaching, to all of the teaching. And it's up to the parents to, uh, to dig around, to find out what's being taught, and to uh, send a form to the school, to take that form into the school, make a copy, put it in their file, make sure that the, that the school district stamps it and receives it into the child's file, and then monitor whether or not that child is actually being opted out of uh, the classes and the controversial um, discussions that, that parents want them to be opted out of. So the problem with opt-out is that oftentimes uh, they forget. The school forgets or the teacher, you know, forgets. Somebody forgets. And the parent finds out later when their child comes home and says, well, yeah, we were putting condoms on, you know, fake um, body parts today in class. And, and Planned Parenthood was here teaching it. And the parent is thinking, oh, lovely. Uh, now it's too late. My child's already seen that. It's uh, taught without any kind of value system whatsoever. And actually, this has happened recently at Taggart High, where 
students um, who, you know, attend a, a, a great evangelical church, you know, strong moral values in her family, et cetera, begin to doubt her own value system because of the message that is being um, given in the class. Um, were those children, those children, were their parents uh, sent home any kind of alert that this was going to be taught? I don't think so. And so those parents had no opportunity to opt out. They're, the parents are, you know, again, it requires a lot of work on the part of the school. With opt-in, everyone is opted out. That's the default. And if you choose to have that teaching, your responsibility is to sign a paper just like you would for a field trip. And the reason you do that for a field trip is because of a liability. And I contend that there is liability here in some of this teaching. So you sign that form saying it's all right for my child to, to be taught uh, this particular curriculum. And then, you know, it's win-win, Georgine, mm -hmm. because the school district then, they know that every single child that is being taught this, their parents have said, yes, I want it. And the rest of the class, they're not, they're not automatically opted in. Yeah. They are automatically opted out. Well, we know there are those that would prefer that parents just not be a part of the equation. And again, I appreciate uh, you're making the point that this doesn't reflect every school district. It doesn't reflect every teacher. But parents, once they're made aware of what's happening in their community, then they can respond to what uh, they're concerned about. And that's part of what Parents' Rights and Education is doing. Now, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Soapbox uh, lecture that's coming up uh, tonight in Scapoose at uh, Scapoose Foursquare Church and uh, tomorrow night in Lake Oswego at Crown Plaza featuring Mary Rice Hassan. We'll tell you more about that in just a few minutes. You're listening to to the Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with the Executive Director of Parents' Rights in Education, Suzanne Gallagher. Uh, they, fa they value students, they empower parents, they enlighten communities. That's the work of Parents' Rights in Education. They also feature a, a soapbox lecture series, and uh, today and tomorrow is an opportunity to hear from one of the most renowned uh, writers on the subject of uh, the culture in public schools, Mary Rice Hansen. Um, you write on your flyer that almost overnight, America's public schools have become morally toxic, especially for families of faith who value traditional morality and common sense. Millions of parents with children in public schools are asking, should we stay or should we go? And so the subject of uh, tonight's uh, lecture, as well as tomorrow night, is America's cultural crisis, public schools. Should we stay or should we go? And the point is, they're going to unpack the issues and choices facing parents. If you think you know what's going on in public schools across the country, but you're not sure you're up to speed, this is a great opportunity to learn what's actually happening today, not just five years ago or 10 years ago, but today. And again, there are two opportunities to uh, uh, to listen in. Now, for folks who are interested in the uh, Soapbox uh, lecture series, they need to go to your website? Uh, they don't have to necessarily. Uh, we are taking, um, you know, people who come just come to the door. It's uh, There's a $10 fee uh, for the event, and um, you can just pay at the door. So uh, they can come to Lake Oswego tomorrow night or to the Scapoose location at um, Scapoose Foursquare Church. And both events begin at 6.30 p.m. Uh, this is a great opportunity to hear from someone who is at the, the – uh, 
of the cutting edge of what's happening across the country. Tell us a little bit about Mary Rice Hassan. Uh, Mary Rice Hassan is not someone that I had had ever heard of before, Mm -hmm. uh, but when I learned of her book and uh, downloaded it, you can download it if you have an Amazon account. You can get the Audible version, and I believe it's complimentary. Anyway, so I started listening to it, Georgine, thinking, well, I wonder, you know, if this is going to be slanted that, Mm -hmm. you know, just leaving public schools. She does make the case for that, but we all know that it's not practical. (laughs) Everyone can't leave. And so if you stay, you need to be, you need to be apprised and you need to to understand what it is that you can do to protect your child. Um, And that's always easier, you know, misery loves company when you get together with others. So that's our role. But, you know, some people will choose to to homeschool or send their child to a a private school. Um, Mary's presentation tonight and her book are, is the best summary literally of this entire overview of what is happening in our public schools today. She deals with, you know, every aspect. She names the players, you know, Planned Parenthood, um, you know, all of the the various organizations that have so much influence Mm -hmm. on the curriculum in our schools today. And it's not just um, human sexuality education or comprehensive sexuality education um, that is uh, controversial, but the entire, um, uh, promotion of the ideology of gender identity, it's just, that is probably the number one uh, frightening issue um, that's it really, it's taking over all the schools. It's well, not, and it's not just about bathrooms. It's about students not um, being happy with with who they are with the bodies that God provided for them. And there's so many implications like free speech and the the free exercise of religion that are linked to to that uh, controversy. So it really is far more important, you're right, than just, although that's significant enough, than just bathrooms and locker rooms and who competes in a high school track meet. There there are lots of very serious uh, implications. Now, through the Soapbox series um, of lectures, what do you hope to provide parents who are concerned about and want to be well-informed and constructive in their approach to educators in their communities? What do you hope to accomplish? Well, we we just hope to to inform them, um, to energize them, to get them, you know, talking to one another, to um, putting them with other parents that are in their same school district, to you know, literally waking up uh, the the people, <laughs> and we also hope that they will get more involved in in their um, local school government, which is the school board. And right now are school board elections. Yes. And they need to know, you know, they need to know the background. They need to take time. It's really the only main election that's taking pr- place right now. And so they need to look into that. I was just um, sent an article about a person running um, in like Oswego. And NARAL is one of his main sponsors. So, you know, we need to be aware. I mean, where, are, where do these people sit on these issues? Because they will be promoting... Uh, all kinds of things. In the school-based health clinics, I would direct um, your listeners to that page. It talks about the laws in Oregon pertaining to uh, children, uh, minors' rights, they're called, that they have access to health care through the school-based health clinics without their parents' knowledge or consent. They can be referred uh, to uh, Planned Parenthood not only for an abortion, but for um, the um, 
hormone uh, treatments that are given to young people to stop them from going through puberty so that they, uh, to prepare them for uh, gender transitioning. And I never thought I would be explaining this kind of medical procedure, but it is legal in the state of Oregon for students as young as 14 and 15 years old. Uh, we have the form um, on our website uh, uh, that um, the Oregon Health Authority, which is in tandem working with the Oregon Department of Education, uh, that students fill out uh, to be sterilized. Mm. And this is, again, without parents' knowledge or consent. Absolutely. Well, I am grateful for the work of Parents' Rights and Education, the Soapbox Lecture Series that provides opportunity to learn more, to go deeper, and to connect parents who are concerned with one another, because it can be very intimidating to come before a board of professionals who can be very dismissive about uh, parents raising concerns about their sons and their daughters. So this is a tremendous opportunity for people who do want to have a clear understanding of what the challenges are uh, to learn more. Now, again, the uh, Soapbox Lecture Series tonight is at Scapoo's Foursquare Church. It begins at 6.30 p.m. Uh, the cost is $10. Their space is limited, so, you know, you can show up with your $10. There are complimentary light snacks and beverages, so, you know, uh, you can make yourself comfortable and learn what's in the best interest of your community and your children. And then tomorrow night in uh, Lake Oswego at Crown Plaza at 6.30 p.m., you'll have an opportunity once again to hear Mary Rice Hassan um, uh, speak on these subjects. I would also encourage you to go to the website, Parents Rights in, Ed- in ED. It's just ab- abbreviated, parentsrightsined.com, uh, for information about what Parents Rights in Education is doing and how you might uh, learn more and uh, become connected with others in your respective uh, community. Well, Suzanne, I so appreciate the work that you're doing and the time you've taken uh, to talk with us today. And I'd, I'd love to keep in touch and make sure our listeners are aware of what you all are doing and, and some of the issues that uh, that come to your attention. Thank you so much, Georgine. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing some of your listeners at our events. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Mm-hmm. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Again, Suzanne Gallagher is Executive Director of Parents' Rights in Education and the Soapbox Lecture Series tonight. Uh, is in Scapoos at Scapoos Foursquare Church beginning at 6.30 p.m. The cost is $10. And then tomorrow night, May 7th, 6.30 p.m. in Lake Oswego at Crown Plaza. And Mary Rice Hassan, who's the author of Get Out Now, is the um, is the speaker. And I appreciated that Suzanne made the point that not every parent has the uh, the ability to withdraw their children from public school. So how do you cope with what's there? How do you become informed, stay informed, and involved in uh, what's being taught to your uh, to your children. So if you're a parent, a grandparent, someone who's concerned about the education system in the state of Oregon and across the country for that matter, um, this is a great opportunity uh, for you to learn more. All right, coming up, we're going to uh, take a break for news and traffic at the top of the hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Uh, coming up in this hour, we're going to talk with Sean McDowell. He is the co-author of So the Next Generation Will Know, Preparing Young Christians for a Challenging World. And what a world and what a challenge they will face over the coming decades. So that's coming up at the bottom of uh, this hour.
Actually, in our next segment. It's coming up in our next segment. Let's get that straight. Well, educators from across the metro area are gathering uh, in order to um, take a day off. Uh, May 8th is a teacher walkout, um, and there are some districts that are actually closing. Um, Teachers and education advocates across the state are flocking to several rallies on Wednesday. It's a bid to pressure the Oregon legislature into passing a $2 billion corporate tax package to Bowie K-12 through funding and push for more money for universities and community colleges. The protest uh, portrayed as a walkout by educator unions in the weeks leading up to the event have forced several school districts across the metro area to actually shutter for the day. So there may not be school on Wednesday in your school district at the school your kids attend. Most, including Portland Public Schools, will add another day at the end of the academic calendar to comply with state classroom hour regulations because the teachers will not be in their classrooms. Now, the rallies are the latest in a series of protests by teachers and education advocates. They're pushing for what they say is much-needed stability in the state's K-12 funding mechanisms. A multi-billion dollar tax plan for schools uh, advanced uh, after last-minute deals in, uh, with business groups over the uh, last several days. And the plan is to raise billions of dollars in new business taxes that would fund improvements to public schools in Oregon and early childhood education programs um, as well. Now, whether or not you would define them as improvements, whether or not I would, uh, is not yet clear at this point. But it cleared a big hurdle on uh, Monday night when it passed out of committee on a party-line vote. Well, the $2 billion corporate tax package passed through a House Uh, the House, rather, on a party-line vote last week and uh, may head to the Senate floor as early as tomorrow. Lawmakers are also considering another $100 million boost to education funding in the state budget. Still, there are some educators who showed up for an April 10th rally in uh, Portland. They said that they wanted the state to address what they say is lackluster investment in Oregon community colleges and public universities. In Eugene, the University of Oregon's governing body voted unanimously to raise tuition for non-resident undergraduates by 3% earlier uh, in March. And Portland State University is considering tuition hikes of 14%, and that's across the board, it it appears. Well, organizers for the rallies on Wednesday have identified at least six events across the state in Portland, in Salem, Medford, Eugene, Bend, and Klamath Falls. In Portland, demonstrators are going to begin rallying at Tom McCall Waterfront Park at 11 a.m. That's followed by a march at noon. Now, among those metro area districts that are closed for the day, and again, we're talking about Wednesday, May the 8th, Washington County, Beaverton School District, Hillsboro School District, Tiger Tualatin School District, Clackamas County, Lake Oswego School District, North Clackamas School District, West Lynn Wilsonville School District, Multnomah County, David Douglas School District, Gresham School District, Park Rose School District, Portland Public Schools, and Reynolds School District as well. That not, uh, that not only means that school will not be uh, called to order on Wednesday, but that means they're going to add another day at the end of uh, the school year to make up for the day that the, the uh, teachers are taking uh, for their demonstration on Wednesday. So make note of that. Also, members of the Oregon House are going to vote uh, today at some point, if they haven't already, on a bill that would end non-medical vaccine exemptions for Oregon school students. House Bill 3063 generated thousands of emails to lawmakers, multiple protests in front of the Capitol, emotional pleas for and against its passage during public hearings. Well, the measure would remove the ability for parents to claim a religious or philosophical exemption for getting their kids vaccinated. A doctor-approved medical exemption would still be possible, but only under medical 
uh, conditions. Well, the vaccines are a requirement for students to um, enroll in public or private schools in Oregon. Homeschool students are not subject to the law. Supporters of the measure cite a recent increase in measles cases in the U.S., including an outbreak this year in southwest Washington. Opponents say it largely takes the decision to vaccinate out of the hands of parents. Well, the vote in the Oregon House uh, is expected to be close. If approved, the bill would head to the Senate. So that's expected sometime today if it hasn't already taken place. And there's a report from the Oregon Employment Department showing that from 2013 to 2017, more people had moved to Oregon than have left. And about 40,000 Californians annually. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Excuse me. Although Oregon has... um, saw migration flow between uh, every state in the nation. It was mostly between nearby Washington, or rather western states. Oregon also saw an influx of people from specific career industries. Oregon gains the most residents from California. On average, 39,320 Californians move to Oregon annually. But an average of 19,523 Oregonians also make the move south, leaving Oregon with a net gain of about 19,000. Uh, new residents from California every year. The state with the second highest net uh, in migration number, the difference between people moving from a state and Oregonians leaving for that same state, is Hawaii. Oregon saw a net gain of about 2,000 people from Hawaii per year in that five-year period. Now, as wet and cold as it can be here, one wonders why you would ever move from there to here. But Oregon, well, it just really can't be beat. Times Square was the scene on Saturday of a pro-life demonstration. Abby Johnson, who's the subject of the pro-life film Unplanned, she amplified her uh, unborn baby's heartbeat by um, bypassers to hear as she uh, underwent a 4D ultrasound in New York City's Times Square. This is a baby. This right here is a baby, she said, while patting her stomach. She appeared on stage on Saturday after the ultrasound and declared that life is winning. We will see a day when abortion in this country is unthinkable, she went on to say. Well, she was speaking at Focus on the Families Alive from New York. It was an event set up as a reaction to the state's controversial abortion legislation signed earlier this year. Well, the host of the live stream indicated that the ultrasound broadcast on a large screen on the Alive from New York stage showed the baby yawning. Vice President Pence highlighted the ultrasound on Saturday with a tweet as Democrat governors in New York and Virginia advocate for late term abortion and even infanticide. And Democrats in Congress refuse to allow a vote on the born alive bill today in Times Square. An ultrasound will be shown for all to see, demonstrating the miracle of life, end quote. Well, Johnson's film, Unplanned, uh, caused a media firestorm as it depicted the true story of her transition from director at a Planned Parenthood in Texas and eventually leaving to found one of the most prominent pro-life organizations in the country. Johnson's group helps clinic workers like she was leave for other jobs. Well, I want to take a moment and encourage you once again to join the bandwagon, if I can put it so crudely, of those of us who are enjoying Better Together. It's the program That has uh, been produced by TBN. It's unlike anything they've done to date. It is a program by women and for women. Um, Talking, of course, about Better Together. Uh, This week, they're focusing on intimacy with God. And isn't that something all of us strive uh, to uh, enjoy more perfectly? And they're focusing today, rather, their focus was, um, is God good? 
Can we trust in his goodness? In a broken and hurting world, how can we believe that God is truly good? And they're going to continue that theme through the remainder of this week. Tomorrow, in fact, they're going to be focusing uh, their content on uh, how to remove barriers that hinder our relationship with God. And they talk about victory. How do you go from uh, one to the other. So that's what's coming up on to uh, tomorrow's program. Now, of course, you can hear Better Together weekdays at 1030 a.m. here in the Portland metro area. You can also download the TBN app or go to visitbettertogether.tv and register to watch anytime. It's a great program that encourages us to live in community as women because doing life alone, it's just not enough. We are better together and that's the uh, program we want to encourage you to check out. Again, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time weekdays. You can download the TBN app or you can visit bettertogether.tv and register to watch anytime. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk with Sean McDowell. He's the co-author of a very important book, So the Next Generation Will Know, Preparing Young Christians for a Challenging World. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back with the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, as we mentioned, Warren Wiersbe, the preacher's favorite Bible commentator, a teacher, a pastor, preacher, he died on Thursday at age 89, leaving an impressive legacy of teaching and preaching, mentoring countless pastors, and through his lessons, broadcasted sermons, over 150 books. He resourced the church to better read and explain the Bible. Well, in a tribute, his grandson, Dan Jacobson, recalled how pastors often told him, there's not a passage in the Bible I have first, um, I haven't first looked up what Wearsby has said on the topic. Well, Mr. Uh, Wearsby, Pastor Wearsby, if you will, described himself as a bridge builder spanning the gap from the world of the Bible to the world of today so that we could get the, to the other side of glory in Jesus, according to his grandson. Of all his many writings, his B commentary series is the most well-known and well-loved, including books like Be Loyal, the book of Matthew, Be Diligent, the book of Mark, Be Compassionate, the first 13 chapters of Luke, Be Courageous, 14 through 24 in Luke, Be Alive for the first 12 chapters in the book of John, and Be Transformed, 13 through 21. He also saw his love of expounding the scripture as a gift that God had given him for the sake of others. Writing to me is a ministry, he said. I'm not an athlete. I'm not a mechanic. I can't uh, do so many of the things that successful men can do, but I can read and study and think and teach. This is a beautiful, wonderful gift from God. And I'm doing is some... All I'm doing is using what he's given to me to teach people and to give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, his wisdom and teaching has left an indelible mark on countless pastors and Christian leaders. Jerry Vines, Baptist um, uh, minister and two-time past president of the Southern Baptist Convention, remarked on Twitter that so many things I did were birthed by Warren Wiersbe. Remembering his great mentor and friend, he said, Wiersbe is the man who taught me how to expound the word of God. Daniel Darling, who's vice president for communication, at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission also spoke of Wearsby's influence, saying he had a formative influence on me as a writer and pastor, a long, full life of service to the church. Giving thanks for the life of one of the great preachers of our century, Warren Wearsby tweeted Barry McCarty, who's a professor of preaching and rhetoric at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. So many close friends who have influenced me deeply were mentored by Wearsby. We owe him much. 
Well, in addition to a prolific writing career, Warren Wearsby, who came to faith after hearing Billy Graham preach in an early Youth for Christ rally, was also involved in parachurch and pastoral ministry for much of his life. He served as director of Youth for Christ's literature division and editor of Campus Life magazine. In addition to his work with groups like the Slavic Gospel Association, Child Evangelism Fellowship, National Religious Broadcasters, Christian Booksellers Association, and Back to the Bible. He received ordination from Northern Baptist Theological Seminary in Lombard, Illinois, and back in 51, that's 1951, and held pastorships at Central Baptist Church in East Chicago, Indiana, Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky, where his Sunday sermons were broadcast over the radio as the Calvary Hour, and the historic Moody Memorial Church in Chicago, where his sermons were broadcast on Moody Radio as part of Moody's Songs of the Night national radio program. And while at Moody Memorial, Wearsby was a regular contributor for Moody Monthly, writing The Insight for the Pastor. It was a column giving practical ministry advice as well as brief biographies of famous individuals from church history. He also taught classes at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School during his time in Chicago and developed curriculum for the um, uh, Doctorate in Ministry um, a preaching course titled Imagination and the Quest for Biblical Preaching. Another important aspect of his time in Chicago was mentoring young pastors, among them up-and-coming preachers like Erwin Lutzer, who would succeed Wearsby as the senior pastor at Moody Memorial after Wearsby left in 1980. In a tribute to his mentor, Lutzer recalls that Wearsby was always gracious with his time and cared deeply for the ministries of pastors he was mentoring and the city where God had placed him. He always had time for us. He always made us feel as if we were the important ones in the room. It was never about him, but always about us. How I still remember him closing his books on his desk when we entered, sitting back, welcoming us, eager to discuss how our ministries were doing. We talked about the challenges of the city, the challenges of shepherding people and the pressures of time for sermon preparation. Then we would find some hidden room in the church and intercede for the needs of the city and the great need for a revival, such as was experienced, uh, was experienced rather during the ministry of D.L. Moody. In 1980, Wearsby and his wife, Betty, and their family moved to Lincoln, Nebraska, where Wearsby took a teaching post at Back to the Bible Radio Ministries, and from 1984 to 1990, he served as general director of Back to the Bible. During this time, Wearsby also wrote regularly for Christianity Today and its sister publication, Leadership Journal. Wearsby amassed a prodigious library during his lifetime, so much so that when they were uh, house hunting in Lincoln in 1980, ahead of the move back to the to back to the Bible. His wife Betty told the realtor, "We're looking for a library with a house attached." Warren Wearsby chose to leave his collection of around 14,000 books to Cedarville University as a part of the Warren and Betty Wearsby Library and Reading Room. He became a writer in residence at Cornerstone University in Grand Rapids, Michigan in 1995, where he also was appointed Distinguished Professor of Preaching at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. Warren Wearsby has gone home. Well done. I'm certain will be the words he hears from the Father. Well, tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk with Jen Pollock. Um, uh, Michael, author of Surprised by Paradox, The Promise of And in an Either-Or World. We'll explain all of that tomorrow. On Wednesday, my guest host will be um, Mike Lee, and we're looking forward to giving him the microphone. On Thursday, we'll hear from Pastor Rich Jones from uh, Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro. I'll be back in the saddle on Friday as I'll be celebrating my 37th wedding anniversary on Wednesday and Thursday. And yes, I am proud of 37 years 
of uh, marriage. These days, um, it's somewhat countercultural. So I am grateful to the Lord. I'm not bragging because uh, I'm such a, a tremendous wife that I made it happen. I'm grateful to the Lord that he has given us the capacity to love one another beyond the first few days of marriage. <laughs> you know, after the honeymoon, you have to depend on Jesus to help you get through the uh, the, the weeks and months and years that follow. And I was uh, so grateful that God provided for me a wonderful husband who loves the Lord uh, more than anything else. And that has helped us to um, stay together for so many years. I, in fact, every night this week, I've asked him, do you think we're going to make it? And he says, what, what are you talking about? Do you, you think we're going to make it till Wednesday? <laughs> he kind of shrugs his shoulders, rolls his eyes and says, yeah, I, I think we're probably going to make it. But it's only Monday, so we still have Tuesday. We have to get through Tuesday to see if we make it to 37 years, which will be on um, on Wednesday. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, we were anticipating a conversation earlier today with Sean McDowell. I'm disappointed some something happened. We weren't able to reach him. But we will try to reschedule that conversation on uh, the book that he co-authored so the next generation will know, Preparing Young Christians for a Challenging World. It's published by David C. Cook, and I would highly recommend it if you do have a, a genuine concern for young people and how to connect with them in a real constructive and meaningful ways. Also, I, in the 4 o'clock hour, had the opportunity to talk with Suzanne Gallagher, who is executive director of the Parents' Rights in Education uh, organization. They have a soapbox lecture series uh, guest tonight and tomorrow night in Scapoose at Scapoose Foursquare Church tonight, and then tomorrow in Lake Oswego at Crown Plaza. Both events start at 6.30, and the uh, author, um, I should say the speaker uh, for this series is Mary Rice Hassan, author of Get Out Now, uh, a, a an important book on what's going on in public schools all across the country. So I hope you will check that out. The cost is $10. You can go to their website for more information. I want to thank um, Chris Williams and James Blend for producing, engineering today's program. And thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.